Welcome and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm just, uh, I, I missed uh, uh, Redeemer Life for two weeks and uh, I was thinking about you all and praying for you all um, while I was in uh, New Delhi and then Allahabad, now called Prayagraj and it's, it's so fascinating because you, um, yeah, it, it's not that cold but you feel cold inside the buildings because there's no heat. So it's 60 outside, but you're shivering inside. And, um, you know, you have to wear your sweater and, and, and all that stuff. Um, it was, um, I, um, I was sitting uh, on the podium and um, uh, there were, you know, about a thousand people there from villages of Allahabad. Um, and um, Someone came and whispered in my ear five minutes before uh, someone was supposed to be speaking and said, you're supposed to be speaking. So there it is. In five minutes time, I had to think about um, what I'm going to be preaching on. <laughs> and I did, and it was in Hindi, so that was another hard thing. I'm not used to speaking in Hindi, but it's so fascinating to see you know, hundreds of villagers come right on the banks of these rivers where the Buddha preached and the Mahavira and Shankara and all these people and, and to see them, to see God do amazing stuff. I mean, these are people who are released from all kinds of demonic possessions and, and all that. So God's doing amazing stuff and I'm thankful for the opportunity to go um, twice a year. Um, this year I'll be going more than that. I'm going in February to Pune and uh, because I'm on the board of Covenant World Relief and we have to go and examine a couple of projects in um, uh, Mumbai and Pune in February. And then, and then I take students in March um, back to Delhi and um, the Taj Mahal and um, and Allahabad, Prayagraj. So you're welcome to come if you would like to. We still haven't bought the tickets. Um, it's 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 a you know once in a lifetime opportunity, especially for my students, because um, you don't get to go to places like that and to see God do stuff like that. So if you're interested, come and talk to me, and um, um, I'll be happy to organize a trip. Have you heard the latest news? It's coming from Australia. Uh, and it goes like this, that um, there's a gentleman who came to the United States um, by the name of Lebedev, and he chased um, the snow, and then he caught the snow and took it to Australia. So now it's hailstorm and rain and all kinds of things that are happening. So he should get the Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. Uh, because that's a good thing, right? Fires. It's a billion, more than a billion animals have died. And so many people have, um, have perished. So many homes have been destroyed. And it's been uh, really bad. And now they do have um, pretty torrential rainfall, which is a good thing. They haven't had that for a long time. So let's pray for Australia and let's pray um, for... Um, God's grace um, in Australia and, um, and other places. 
There's also, of course, another room. Uh, this is like fake news. I begin with fake news. <laughs> uh, so there is an opening in, uh, in royalty in, in England. Yeah. Have you heard about it? You know. So there is, they're looking for applicants now. Uh, but only Russians are allowed because there is something about royalty. The czars and the English. When does it go back to? The czars time? During the time of the czars, yeah. Any names that come to your mind right off the top of your head? Uh, I'm not sure there was intermarriage between the British and the, uh, the British royalty. And uh, so only Russians may apply for this opening now. Uh, Prince Harry I'm and... Not, I'm not applying. You're not applying? Okay. I was hoping that you would. <laughs> uh, yesterday we had quite an, uh, quite an amazing experience with the bangs. Uh, would you pray for the bangs as they go um, to Seattle and, um, you know, start a new life? It is not easy, especially for the kids. The kids were born here and have deep friendship with, um, with kids here. And, you know, it's not, not an easy thing to move so far away. And um, I think family is here as well, right, Sean? So let's pray for the bangs there. They've flown out today uh, that God will provide a new life for them, a new good church. Um, of, of course, uh, Chloe was very clear. I said, maybe you'll find a church just like Redeemer Life. And she says, no, it's not going to be like Redeemer Life. So would you pray for them? Let's pray for them as they enter into this new life um, in Seattle. And I would encourage you to come today to Barbara's bookstore. These are opportunities that God has opened up. I don't know how, but, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity for us to go in a public space um, and to be able to share the gospel. So if you have friends who are reluctant to come to, um, to redeem a life or reluctant to go to any other church, um, Places like Barbara's bookstore are a place where we can meet and talk about very crucial issues because we care about issues. Um, uh, that's what the gospel is all about. It's healing people who are hurting, and, and that means talking about issues of suffering and bitterness and, um, and stuff like that because the gospel has the answer. We will continue this series in the book of Philippians, a powerful, it's a small book, a short book, but a very, very powerful book. Um, before we dive into it, I want to ask you a question. So are you ready? You know, uh, someone at the back, Dana has come up with a new name for me. And is Dana here? She's, she's called me PBJ. PBJ. Isn't that a good name? What do you think? So it's Pastor Boaz Johnson, yes. Or it'll go well in, in uh, North Park also. It'll be Professor Boaz Johnson. So PBJ, what do you think, Joe? I also have a name for the youth group. It's the launch. <laughs> Isn't that a good name? What do you think? No, there's no good feelings from this side. <laughs> the launch? No? Sorry? It's okay? All right, thank you. <laughs> um, so there is, uh, is there going to be a prize for a new name? Yes. So people are supposed to be coming up with a new name? Yes. 
And what is the prize? Milk cow. Where is that? What is that? Oh, it's a dessert place. Okay. All right. Uh, for a million dollars, what what kind of a gift certificate? That's a surprise. Okay. I'd like to go there, um, along with whoever is receiving the gift. So I have a question for you. Are you ready? Youth group. Youth group. Where are the others? Um, so um, the question is this. <laughs> what is the most important word in the Bible? What's the most important word? In the, well, the most important verse is we decided that, right? That's um, John 3.16. If you're a Tim Tebow follower. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that the most famous verse? Most important verse? What about the most famous, what's the most important word in the Bible? Word. What do you think? Should I call out names? You know, that's the problem. You, you guys are to blame for this. You chose a professor to be the interim teaching pastor. So I have to behave like the professor, if that's all right with you. What do you think, Joe? God, God is the most important word in the Bible. In what language? Yeah, because God is so, you know, English. It's got to be Hebrew. Yes, yes. Elohim, El, El Shaddai, and all that. So do you think that's the most important word? What do you think is the most important word in the Bible? The most important word. He says What's the it's criteria? Uh, oh, Trinity, PhD, people. <laughs> It's so God. What's the criteria? What do you think is the criteria? <laughs> the most important word. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the most important word in the Bible. Jesus. Youth group? Holy Spirit is the most important word. Holy Spirit. This is God the Father, I presume. Is that all right? So this is the Trinity. So the Trinity is the most important word. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What do you think? I don't think you can use that, but agape can be second. Agape. Agape can be... So this is one. God, and then agape. Mercy. Mercy. Chesed, chesed, mercy, covenant love, chesed, mercy, covenant love, anything else? What do you think? So is it okay if I, I I agree with all of you, right? These are important words. You can't disagree with this. It will be, I'll be in big time trouble if I disagree with this. Um, but I think the most important word in the Bible is a word called therefore. You're right. You're right. 
Because of God, therefore. Because of Jesus, therefore. Holy Spirit, therefore. Love, God's love, therefore. Hesed, therefore. That's where everything hinges. Therefore. And so it's very important for us to pay close attention to that word in Hebrew as well as in Greek. And when it's translated in English, sometimes, you know, these NIV people just drop the therefore. And I would say, no, come on, it's there. And it's there for a reason. Therefore, you keep it. Right? It's there for a reason. Therefore, you keep it. And, 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 and so we have to, almost like whenever we see that, we have to take a double take and say, why? Why does the word therefore, why is it used in certain sections. And we began uh, with Philippians chapter 2 last, uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, no, it was the end of last year, the 30th. Was that the Sunday where I, when I was here? 31st I was flying out and I was somewhere on top of some ocean on the 1st of uh, January, I think. So I missed that. Um, but we did talk about Philippians chapter 2. Do you remember that? Philippians chapter 2, which is an amazing, amazing poem, an amazing song that was written in which um, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says, in your relationships, in your koinonia with each other, have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, a doulos, servant. And you talked about that, isn't it? Servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's the next word? Therefore. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the same Lord that revealed himself to Moses. Kurios. To the glory of God the Father. So at crucial junctures you'll find that in the book of Philippians you find this word. Therefore, therefore my brothers and sisters. And we talked about that as well last time. Uh, 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 la that Sunday that I was here. Therefore my brothers and sisters. You whom I love long for and long for. My joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, and he goes on to talk about how we should just completely rely on the Lord. Therefore, therefore. The prophets also have a lot of therefores. So throughout the Bible, when you find that word therefore, underline it and look at it over and over again. Because it is there for a reason. Therefore. We are going to go into tomorrow. We don't have... Um, North Park University functioning tomorrow. I don't know. Do you have high schools going on tomorrow? Why? Because it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. 
And that also hinged on the word therefore. Did you know that? Because Martin Luther King Jr. was reflecting on a prophetic book called the prophet Amos. The prophet Amos. Do you remember that that, um, important statement that he made? And therefore let justice roll down like waters. Do you remember that? And righteousness, rightness, justice, like an ever-flowing stream, therefore. And if you read the book of Amos, it's got crucial therefore. So it begins with therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from them. You have built houses of hewn stone. Verse 11 of chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Well, day of the Lord was the time when, when all these kings would go and they would worship their gods and goddesses. When they worship their gods and goddesses, they call that the day of their particular god. Because the day of their particular god will give them victory because they worship their gods. That's what these people did in the name of the Lord. And so therefore, Amos says, Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Go to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him and went, went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It is not the day of the Lord. The day is not the day of the Lord. Darkness and not light and gloom with a brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feasts, all your worship times, all those songs you sing. Amos says, the Lord says, I hate those things. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Therefore, let justice run. Roll down like waters and rightness and justice like an ever-flowing stream. It's so powerful, right? Therefore, therefore. So we need to underline those words because there is a reason behind what is being said. And you find this in the book of Philippians as well. And I want to talk about this crucial word, how to be there for Christians. And we, are long, we launched into it last time in Philippians chapter 1. Let, let's, let's begin reading at, at the first verse again, if we may, please. Would you arise with me and let's read Philippians chapter 1 together? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I love you for all you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fullness fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, Lord, as we meditate more on these words, your word, we pray that you'd enable us to be therefore Christians. that live for the glory and praise of God, whose lives exhibit characteristics and ethos for the praise and glory of God. So speak to us, O Lord, we pray. In the name of the risen Lord Jesus, Amen. Amen. Do be seated, please. Please be seated. Um, there's ten characteristics that I discern here as I look at this passage. We, we talked about the demeanor of, of Paul and Timothy, that they're servants, they're doulos, they're slaves. And that's a very important thing. When we approach each other, it seems to me that the first characteristic of a leader... Uh, ought to be servanthood, because that's what Jesus was. He's the one that, you know, went, uh, took that towel, took that bucket, which is only touched by the slave boy, and went and washed the feet of the disciples. And he said, that is what you people have to be. You call me master and Lord, and that's right. But you've got to realize that I'm a servant first. And so Paul and Timothy, and then they, they go on to call everyone as saints. We talked about that last time, right? We have to look at people that we, that we encounter as people who are declared to be saints by Jesus. And we have to treat them as such. We cannot suspect people to be less than that because God is at work. And that's what Paul does. He calls people saints in Christ Jesus at a place called Philippi where there was a lot of horrible stuff going on. I mean, the Christians were suffering so much. They were tied up in, in, in these pig skins and horrible things were done to them. And when horrible things happen to you, you turn around and do horrible things to others. And Paul will go on to talk about that in chapter 2 and we will talk about it as we enter into chapter 2. But then he goes on to say this. 
I thank my God all the time when I think about you. Isn't that powerful? Therefore, Christians are always people who thank God for everyone around them. How do I go into ministry? I first go with a note of thankfulness and say, Lord, I thank you for the people who are here in Libertyville, in Vernon Hills. I thank you, Lord, for people who, who don't seem to be thankworthy. Because whenever horrible things happen to people, they, they're not thankworthy people. You know, that's one of the things that I experience when I go to India, and, and I'm all about reaching out to the outcast people, all about reaching out to the low caste people. But do you know there is something that, that hits me right away? Because when I hang around with the outcast people and, and, the, and the low caste people, they're not people you want to hang around with. When you've always been treated like dirt, you don't know how to do any other. But then you say, I thank God. Eucharisto is the word in Greek, which means, well, from which we get the word for the Holy Communion. Eucharist. I thank God. I, I thank God for what God is going to do in spite of me and in spite of all the experiences that people go through. So the first characteristic, the first mark of a therefore Christian is to be Always thankful. Even then, even when there is no semblance or no markers to be thankful about, I say, thank you, Lord. And then he goes on to say, I remember. Therefore, Christians are people who remember. Remember others all the time. You know, we live in a very selfish society, right? We go to God and we have this grocery list of prayers and it's all about me. Lord, what about this? What about this? And, you know, so 80% of the prayers are usually all about myself. My health, my children, my studies, my whatever it may be. But, but what Paul says here is that therefore Christians are people who always remember others. And the Greek word and the Hebrew word is not just a mental reminder of someone else. That is not what the word remember means. When we celebrate communion, it says at the table, usually you'll see this in churches, it would say, do this in remembrance of me. Well, what does that mean? The, the Hebrew word zachor and, and the Greek word that is used here, menea, is, 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 is a remembrance that is an actual remembrance. It's experiencing the pains of the people. Otherwise, I don't remember them. It's experiencing the, 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 the depression of the person I'm praying about. Otherwise, that is not remembering them in prayer. That's what Jesus did. And that's why when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, his, his, his blood was oozing out because it was right down into his inner being. That's what remembrance means. And so Paul goes on to say that I remember you 
all the time. I remember you all the time. You know, many times it seems to me that, that we, we, we forget things, right? Do you remember that narrative of, uh, of, of this guy by the name of Joseph? Well, Joseph was the little kid, and he always talked about his dreams, right? You know, there are people who talk about their dreams all the time, and you want to say, shut up, shut up, no, no, this is not the time, right? You're, you're going to get into trouble. He did get into trouble. He was sold into slavery. And... Many times people would do stuff like that and, and then out of sight, out of mind. Do you think they ever thought about their brother? I don't think so. They couldn't care less. And then he goes into jail and there is this guy who has a dream and he's a cupbearer and, um, and uh, Joseph says to him that in three days' time, you would be released and you will be taken back to your position. But when you get back to your position and things are going well for you, I want you to do something. What is that? Remember me. Will you remember me, please? Do you think he remembered him? He did not. Out of sight, out of mind. And life goes on. But God is not like that. Every time it talks about God, it says God remembered. God asked Noah to make the ark and to go into the ark. And then you come to the top of Genesis chapter 8. It says God remembered Noah and all the animals. God always remembers. Every time it comes to talking about Abraham, it says, God remembered Abraham. He remembered Lot in Genesis chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 2, when God revealed himself to Moses, it says, God remembered his people and their sufferings because God was suffering with the suffering people. God remembered. Therefore, he expects us also to remember. Not just a mental reminder, but to suffer with the people who are suffering. Otherwise, it is not remembrance. And that's why we have the, the Holy Communion here. So that we remember just like Jesus remembered. We suffer with the suffering. We feel it in our bones. How do we do that? The third marker of a therefore Christian is someone who prays with, and the word that's used there in Greek is this, 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 uh, this groaning kind of deep emotions. You know, I've, I've heard people pray, and of course there are people who have these very profound language that people want to use, but, but, but the prayer that I remember the most is that of a woman in this slum church that I was pastoring in, in Delhi. I was just a young um, um, MDiv graduate, just started into pastoral ministry, and uh, I was in my early 20s, and, uh, and it was hard to be there in the slums right behind All India Institute of Medical Sciences. Um, and people would pray. And, you know... 
Indians are in the habit of coming up with very, very flowery languages. You know, the more Sanskrit your term is, the better it is. What a profound language! But there was this woman who had experienced so much pain. She was from a place called Bihar. Every time she prayed, she would be weeping for everyone around. And of course, the young people would snicker and they would say, oh, there she goes again. But she experienced the pains of the people. Those were deep petitions. It's not just prayers that are superficial prayers. Because prayers are no prayers when they are superficial prayers. God is not looking for our flowery words. God is looking for us to suffer with the people just like he suffers with the people. That's the word that's used here. I have, I come with deep petitions for you. But something happens. Something happens, and that's the fourth characteristic of therefore Christians. When you go deep down there and you and I experience the pains and the sorrows of the people, somehow those bad memories are transformed into joyous memories. This is a mystical thing. You and I can never understand this. But it happens in prayer, deep petitions, when those bad memories that you have. And that happens, right? Whenever you have a bad experience with a person and you see that person walking through the door, right in the deep, in the pit of your stomach, you get this bad feeling and you don't want to encounter that person. What Paul is saying here is that when you and I pray with deep petitions, something happens where those bad memories are transformed into joy. And that's mystical. You don't, there's no explanation for that. That's where healing happens. One of the reasons why, you know, I go into different parts of the world and there is, you know, talk about peace and development and Gandhi talked about peace all the time. Well, you go to India, is there any peace? There isn't. Why? Because people have not gone to God in prayer like that, when transformation doesn't happen in the name of Jesus the Messiah, it is not transformation, just superficial peace treaties and peace building and all that. The only time you can have peace is when you go to the cross and experience that transformation. So you may have deep sufferings that you have encountered would you go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you give me that transformation? I still have that deep-set, awful feeling in the pit of my stomach when I encounter this person. And say, Lord, would you transfer that, transform that into joy? I mean, the rest of the letter will say that we'll see that when Paul was thinking about these Philippian Christians, he should not have been joyful because these were a bunch of characters. But he was joyful. He was joyful. Transfer to, therefore, Christians are people who have experienced that transformation. Fifthly, therefore, Christians are sustained by this 
constant community. In, in, in Greek, the word is koinonia. It's that oneness that happens. When the transformation happens, then there is oneness. And that's one of the beautiful things I liked about Redeemer Life. And I saw that yesterday also in the, in, in, during the time of farewell for the bangs. And uh, There's one thing that people will say all the time about Redeemer Life. It's not about the preaching. It's not about, you know, whatever else. It's about this sense of oneness. And my prayer is that this would continue on. Koinonia. That's what Paul experienced when he was thinking of this people. Sixthly, therefore Christians are people who know that God has a plan for every individual and seek to foster that plan. It's not my plans. I'll always be frustrated in the ministry if I come up with a plan and want to see that to completion. Therefore, Christians are people who say, God, you have a plan, and I want to see that plan unfolded. And it keeps on getting unfolded and unfolded and unfolded. I've seen this in many, many churches who have come up with a game plan and they're so frustrated and everyone is, you know, kind of pouncing another person because they're not fulfilling their plan and this person is not fulfilling their plan and all you have is a bunch of people who are upon each other and, and shouting at each other. Whereas Paul is saying here, no, God has a plan. I know that God's purposes will be completed because He is in control. He is the one that began Redeemer life. He is the one that will bring Redeemer life to completion in His way. Not my way, but His way. God has a plan for individuals, and that's true of those of us who are parents. God has a plan. It's not how I train the kids. God has a plan, and I have to say, Lord, let your plans come to fruition. Discipleship, the same thing. God has a plan. It's not my plans. I know that educational institutions come up with all kinds of goals for education. But in this case, Paul is saying, no, our goal should be to see God's plans come into fruition. Seventhly, therefore Christians are people who enable others to participate in their sufferings. That's what Paul did all the time. You know, he was a rabbi. Rabbis are not supposed to be talking about their sufferings. Rabbis were people who knew it all. What's the difference between those people who are therefore Christians and those people who know it all? The difference is, I am weak. And I want you to participate in my sufferings. And Paul does that all the time. We'll see more of that as we go into the rest of the book of Philippians. Eighthly, therefore Christians are those who always yearn. And this yearning comes from this visceral love. In, in Greek, the word is splankana. It's your inner beings and, and your, your intestines and your kidneys, they all get filled up 
with the suffering and love and all of that mixed together. That's the kind of emotions that, that Paul is referring to. He says, you want to be like me? Be this kind of a person who has this deep yearning. And that's what then leads to evangelism. That's what then leads to discipleship. If it doesn't begin with that, it is not evangelism. It is not discipleship. This is one of the things that I found in, even in my recent uh, trip. And every time I go, I, I spend a lot of time with the vice chancellor of this university. It's, it's 12,000 students. 12,000 students. And that's a lot of responsibility in India. Agricultural, every year they are giving out so many PhDs. And yet, when it comes to Friday, he begins with prayer and fasting. He's praying for every single student in the university, every single faculty member. And then he goes on to pray about the villages all around Allahabad and UP and Madhya Pradesh. And, and then I see him encountering these really poor people. You, you don't want to go near them because they smell. They've come from hundreds of miles on bullock carts and all kinds of things. But you see that love that's poured out from a person who does not need to engage with the poorest of poor people. I mean, he's made it. He's one of the top most vice chancellors in the university system in India. But there's this something that happens when it's this yearning love for the poorest of poor people just pours out. And you can see that. This is not a made-up thing. People know whether you're genuine or you're not genuine, isn't it? People know whether it is coming from inside me or I'm just pretending to be smiling. It's, it's similar to when I go into a restaurant here. I don't know if you experience this, but you know, there's this nice person who's serving you, but you look into the eyes and you see that there's sadness there. And of course, they're supposed to be smiling because you know, they're serving you. People know that. And that's where evangelism begins. And that's where it ends when people see the strong yearning and love for the people, splankna from my kidneys that comes up. And then based on this, there's the ninth characteristic of therefore Christians where one comes up with a holistic discipleship program. And I, I, I probably should not even call it a program because it's a being thing. There's, there's seven characteristics that, that Paul mentions here that, that when one comes up with a discipleship program, one should first enable people to espouse agape. There's your word. The sacrificial love. And I have to live that first before I can teach that because it can never be taught. I always say to my students that, you know, yes, I'm teaching at North Park University, but this is not really the best way of education. I have to first espouse and live 
sacrificial love and my students have to see that in me before they will themselves do it and be it. Because just rational knowledge is not knowledge. The second word, of course, is knowledge, gnosis. It comes from love and then goes into this very, very deep form of knowledge. The third characteristic of um, holistic discipleship is something that results in deep insight and wisdom. Eisthesis, the, 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 the Greek word there is this, this form of knowledge that enables people to become wise. And believe me, we don't find that in our university system. We are given the facts. We, are, we enable people to analyze stuff. But wisdom is something that's a very, very deep form of knowledge. And that is the discipleship that Paul talks about. And then this results in the ability to test and discern what is right, what is not right. That is wisdom, right? It's a lot more than just giving knowledge to people. And it's something that cannot be quantified in the educational system. And then that results in the fifth characteristic of discipleship that therefore Christians have to develop, and that is called judgment that, is, that leads to ethical purity. It is not merely who, what I do, what I think, but, but it is something that results in every single thing that I do or be is impacted by that. Sixthly, don't be a stumbling block, says Paul. And then seventhly, he says, seek justice. That takes us back to MLK Jr.'s speech, right? All this religion is nothing, says Amor. Seek justice. Seek rightness. So that God's justice would prevail. And then Paul ends with these words. Let me read this. This is so powerful. Verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have, I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that you love, your love, agape, may abound more and more in knowledge, gnosis, and the depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of rightness, justice, Dikaiosune, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is discipleship. And it's my prayer, Joe, as you go into our small groups, that that's what it would be. This is all to the praise and glory of God. The youth program to the praise and glory of God. Because that's not how the world thinks, right? People become pastors so that people will praise them. 
People become Christian leaders so that people will look at them and say, Oh, how cool. Look at this church. Look at this pastor. But if it's not to the praise and glory of God, that is not, therefore, Christian ministry. So let's pray that our life will always be to the praise and glory of God. Would you pray with me, please? The Spirit of God is speaking to you to address concerns in your life, to be a thankful Christian, to be a remembering Christian, to pray with deep petitions. If there are things in your lives that need to be transformed into memories of joy, would you bring these things before God? Oh Lord, we come before you and, and pray for ourselves as a community as we reflect on these words of Paul. Enable us to be more and more like Jesus, O oh Lord. Enable us to remember. Enable us to be thankful. Pray for those that need healing in their inner beings. Pray, Lord, that you would transform the bad memories into memories of joy. And may it all be to your glory. And as we think about the discipleship programs, in our life groups, as we think about outreach in Vernon Hills, and as we think about youth ministry, Lord, may it all be to your glory. So take all these and transform us. So, beloved, as you go out into the world, may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you that people would see the genuine face of Jesus on your faces. And through you, may he bring about the peace that transcends all understanding. Go in this, the grace and the mercy of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.